What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Blinking Nintendo Gaming Podcast. My name is VJ, and on this week's episode, this is going to be the debut of a new series called Game Over Mistakes in Gaming, where we discuss some of the biggest gaffes, missteps, and mistakes in gaming history. And trust me, there are a lot of those. So, to start off the debut episode, we're going to talk about the North American launch of the Sega Saturn. One of the biggest launch missteps in the history of gaming. So in the early 90s, Sega was at the height of its popularity with the Sega Genesis. And one of the big reasons Sega was so big back in that day was because the Genesis was seen as the cooler alternative to the more kid-friendly Super Nintendo. You know, the stereotype back in those times was that the Super Nintendo was for like little kids, while the Genesis was for teenagers. You know, more older people, sports games, action games, things like that. And to make matters worse, to even further perpetuate that stereotype, when Mortal Kombat was released for home consoles in 1993, in the Super Nintendo version, blood was censored, while in the Genesis version, you could unlock the code that showed all the blood and gore that you wanted to see out of Mortal Kombat. So the Sega Genesis was really the only competitor that truly challenged Nintendo for home console domination in the fourth generation. It beat Nintendo in Christmas sales from 1992 to 1994, which is a huge indicator of market trends when it comes to the video game console market. Going into 1995, Sega actually held 55% of the home console market. There were a few mistakes that Sega could make to falter from the throne, but the seeds were planted in 1992. With the Super Nintendo being released two years after the Genesis, it was clear the Super Nintendo was more powerful, thus putting Sega behind the eight ball. So to compensate, they released the Sega CD add-on for the Genesis in the fall of 1992. The Sega CD had a much faster processor, enhanced graphics and sound, and obviously by the name, used CD-ROM technology, a fairly new innovation for gaming at that time. A great system in theory, but at the price of $299, it wasn't truly a new system, making it hard for consumers to support it, rendering it a commercial failure, selling 2.2 million units in total, a mere fraction compared to the Sega Genesis sales at that time. Then, after the advent of Nintendo's Super FX chip for the Super Nintendo, which greatly enhanced 2D graphics as well as allowed for games like Star Fox to use 3D polygons, combined with the release of the 64-bit Atari Jaguar, Sega felt like they had to make another move even though their next console, the Sega Saturn, was still in development. So in the fall of 1994, they released the Sega 32X, another Genesis add-on that was supposed to be a cost-efficient 32-bit machine launching at $160. The 32X was a minor improvement to the Genesis with enhanced graphics and sound, but not a major enough upgrade to warrant the $160 price point. Again, the loyal Sega fanbase felt slighted, and the 32X was even less successful than the Sega CD, ultimately selling over 800,000 units. This could be figuratively viewed as Sega's second strike. So despite the failures of the Sega CD and 32X, as mentioned earlier, Sega was able to go neck and neck, toe to toe with Nintendo. Again, still holding 55% of the home console market at the end of 1994. But those failures did shorten the gap of domination. But even so, excitement for their new console, the Sega Saturn, was going through the roof. 
Internally, though, there was a power struggle going on at Sega between Sega of Japan and Sega of America. While the Genesis was huge here in the States, in Japan, the Super Nintendo was king by a vast margin, to the point where the PC Engine, or TurboGrafx-16, was regularly outselling the Genesis in Japan, which is crazy. For Sega Japan, they wanted to move on from the Genesis and release something tailored more to the Japanese audience, a move that Tom Kalinske, Sega of America CEO and Bonafide, Silver Fox, vehemently disagreed on. The Sega Genesis was a force in the West, and Kalinske deserved a massive amount of credit for that success. You know, during his time as CEO of Sega of America, which lasted between 1990 and 1996, he took it from a $72 million company all the way to $1.5 billion. And this was due to his unique marketing strategies he had used to promote the Sega Genesis, like allowing consumers to rent Genesis's Genesis <laughs> consoles from Blockbuster as a point of entry to get the console in the household, as well as the super aggressive and super awesome ad campaign Genesis does what Nintendo, which to this day, in my opinion, is still one of the best ad campaigns in the history of gaming. Needless to say, the Genesis was Tom Kalinske's baby, and he felt like he, it was a big mistake to go forward with releasing a new console when he knew there was still a lot of life left in the Genesis, even though they failed with the Sega CD and Sega 32X add-ons. Unfortunately, Sega Japan decided that moving on from the Genesis was the right course of action, and Kalinske's request to hold off on the new system fell on deaf ears. So in March of 1995, Sega of America CEO Tom Kalinske announced that the Sega Genesis would be released in North America on September 2nd of that year on what was going to be called Saturn Day, which is a pretty cool name, actually. The only problem about the Saturn Day Spectacular was the looming release of the Sony PlayStation. Both the Saturn and PlayStation were released within a few weeks of each other in late 1994 in Japan. And by Christmas of that year, the Saturn had sold 500,000 units compared to the PS1's 300,000. But the PlayStation was quickly gaining momentum. With the PlayStation coming out September 9th in North America, a week after Saturn's September 2nd Saturn Day, Sega began to get a case of severe hysteria, which is never a good thing. On May 11th, of 1995, at their E3 press conference, Sega made a completely startling announcement. The Sega Saturn was going to be launching much sooner than expected. Actually, it was out in store shelves right fucking now. This was all in an effort to try to drive sales for the Saturn, creating a vested interest before the PlayStation launch. Tom Kalinske hatched the plan himself, saying, quote, I thought up the surprise launch as a way of generating excitement and PR. And surprise, it did. This announcement sent shockwaves through the gaming world, stunning consumers, developers, and retailers alike. A number of developers were in the middle of fine-tuning their games for the September launch and couldn't release them in May. Games that were launched in May clearly showed signs of incompetence with various bugs, issues, and problems, and some games even had to be re-released later with those bugs fixed. One example being Virtual Fighter Remix that came out five months after the original Virtual Fighter launch title. On the retail side, Sega didn't have enough units to dole out to all the retailers that would have received them had the console launch in September. Only Electronics Boutique, Software Etc., Babbage's, and Toys R Us actually got the Saturn. 
This left a lot of other retailers in the dust, the most famous or infamous one being KB Toys, who felt so spurned by the news, they decided they would never carry the Saturn, ever. Hoping to sell about 600,000 units by the end of the year, Sega's plan was heavily compromised when Sony announced at their E3 press conference just a few hours after Sega's that the PlayStation 1 would cost $299, $100 cheaper than the Sega Saturn's $399 price point. Even with that news, the Saturn still sold fairly well initially, but sales faltered quickly with the looming PlayStation release, in tandem with the subcar games on the market. They just weren't ready. Again, the games were supposed to come out in September, and they pumped some of these games out in May that just were not ready for consumers to play yet. So, come the PlayStation launch day, the Sega Saturn had only sold 80,000 units in five months, while the PlayStation sold 130,000 units in the first week. So, safe to say, the earlier launch didn't provide any momentum at all. None. This, in turn, caused Sega to lower the price of the Saturn to $299 just to compete with the PlayStation. But in the end, it was to no avail, eventually dropping to $249 in, the, in March of 1996, then dropping down to $199 in May when the PlayStation dropped to that same price. And these were extremely costly moves for Sega, given the Saturn cost them $380 to produce. So to even drop it down to $199, they were taking a massive profit hit in order just to compete with the PlayStation. And by the end of May of 1996, the PlayStation had sold 1.2 million units in eight months, while the Sega Saturn had sold 600,000 in one year. Yikes. Disaster. In 1998, the Saturn was discontinued in North America, ultimately selling 2 million units. The PlayStation was discontinued in 2005, selling 39 million units in America, completely crushing the Sega Saturn. Now, going back to Sega of America versus Sega of Japan, they were right when it came to their own country because the Sega Saturn, while it was a complete and utter failure here in the States, was huge in Japan. I mean, the library of games for the Sega Saturn over in Japan is insanely massive because they actually did support that console very very well over there so they were right they came up with a console that was going to be big in japan and it was but it just was not big here see the early north american sega saturn launch debacle had after effects on sega that reverberated for years to come years and years to come tom Clancy resigned in july 1996 believing that sega japan had too much control over the american side of business New CEO Bernie Stoller pronounced at E3 1997 that the Sega Saturn was not the future of Sega, burning the fans that did, that did or potentially wanted to buy the console. Honestly, that might have been one of the stupidest things ever said in gaming history. That's like Nintendo saying, like, right now, the Switch wasn't, isn't our future. Like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, why would I buy it then if I, if I know that you guys don't care about it anymore? So, again, the fact that that came out of his mouth is ridiculous to me. But he said it. He fucking said it. Now, once Sega released a Sega Dreamcast in 1999, that console was fucking amazing. One of the best consoles of all time. 
But scorn former Sega loyalists and various developers and retailers that were burned by the Sega Saturn fucked up nonsense launch debacle just couldn't help the Sega Dreamcast reach its ultimate potential. And in 2001, Sega discontinued the Dreamcast and subsequently stepped away from the hardware market. And that's due to, again, another PlayStation console, the PS2, coming out a little bit later and completely spanking the shit out of the Dreamcast. But again, if Sega had done things the right way with the Saturn and, and had supported it the right way, you know, maybe they wouldn't have had these issues with those retailers, the developers. Again, EA so they never wanted to work with with Sega again. And they and they didn't. No EA games ever came out for the Sega Dreamcast because of this debacle. So they they burned a lot of bridges uh doing this for sure. And this PlayStation paranoia paranoia that they had led to one of the worst moves in video game history and completely destroyed the reputation and force in nature that that once was Sega. You know, a one-time contender to the throne, Nintendo, because of the downward spiral that occurred after this early Sega Saturn launch debacle, Sega is now just another developer. And honestly, maybe until recently, they weren't very good. You know, who knows how their future could have been if the Saturn move hadn't been made. But there's no doubt in my mind, and obviously in your minds after hearing this story, that it was an obvious mistake. In gaming, no doubt about it. Now, my personal thoughts on the Sega Saturn, I think it's a really, really cool system for what it was. A 32-bit console. Actually, I think they actually put two 32-bit chips in there to try to make it like 64-bit. But the way they structured the system was all faulty. So people really couldn't even tap into the potential of both of those chips. They really were able to use one. And so... 2D games on the Sega Saturn look and play amazing. I mean, games like Street Fighter and all those type of 2D games that came out at the time, they're amazing for the Sega Saturn. Um, but when it came to 3D games, again, just based on the, the faulty hardware design, 3D games just looked very polygonish. Not saying that games on the, on the PlayStation 1 and the, the N64 weren't polygonish looking games, but they didn't have as many sh uh, sharp edges and curves and line work that the Sega Saturn had. Those games just looked real boxy. And yeah, 3D games on there just didn't look good. But the Sega Saturn had a lot of cool games. And for what it was, was a really, really cool system. Nowhere near as cool as the Dreamcast by any means, but a good system still. But yeah, Sega got scared. The PlayStation 1 was on their heels and they didn't know what the fuck to do. And they panicked. And you never want to panic in those type of situations because you don't think rationally and you do things that you want, you're going to regret in the future. And I'm sure, actually, I know just by listening to and reading interviews from Tom Kalinske, this was a mistake. No doubt about it. And they should have done this the right way. But again, sometimes when the pressure is on, you do things that are stupid. And, and that's what happened here. So Sega Saturn, an awesome system. Go pick one up. They're not too expensive. They're fun. Support it, even though nobody did 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, so we're going to wrap things up. This was the first debut launch of this Game Over Mistakes in Gaming series. And trust me, there are many, many more mistakes in gaming we're going to cover. So stay tuned for some other ones that are going to come up 
in the future. All right, guys. So if y'all want to reach me, you already know where to hit your boy up. BlinkingNintendo.BuzzSprout.com. That's our podcast page. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at BlinkingNintendo. You guys are the best. I love y'all. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Have a great day. Love you guys. Stay tuned.